Thank you, Ralph, faithful elder and brother. One of the privileges of having uh, a toddler is that they, of course, see the world far differently than we do, things that we perceive, and they're also incredible ego boosts when you need them. So uh, one of those today as we finish this text that Ralph read for us, as we finish the book of 1 Peter, we see that there is peace under the mighty hand of God, the mighty hand of God. For Uriah, whenever I lift him up, uh, it's pretty hilarious, it's consistent, whenever I lift him up, uh, almost always he will make a comment like this, Daddy, you're so big and powerful. And, and it just, it's, it's more ego boosting than anything I could ever do. It's wonderful. So that's pretty much how I've stayed in shape through COVID. I've not gone to the gym, but I've just been pressing this kid up like you wouldn't believe. Daddy, you're so big and powerful. And then when we go for walks on a good portion of Reggae Street here, uh, we live on East Lakewood, so we walk down Reggae a lot. A lot of it doesn't have a sidewalk, so we try and teach him a healthy fear of cars. And anytime a truck goes by or a car goes by, we've taught him those cars are big and powerful. And the idea is that you want to respect them. You, we don't want to play in the street. We want to stay back. We want to be aware of our surroundings. They're big and powerful in, in a sense of we don't get close to them. The difference, he knows me. He knows that I'm big and powerful, at least in his perception. And so that gives him comfort. It gives him peace to be in my presence. But for him then to see that there are cars and other things that are more big and more powerful gives him also a perspective of what to fear and how to live his days. In our final words that Paul gives here in this first letter, the reminder that God's hand is mighty. God's hand is powerful. It brings the believer comfort and peace and warmth as a little child reaching up and holding the large, powerful hand of their parent or grandparent. There's warmth and there's peace and comfort by being with someone so much stronger and able. And that's what the Lord speaks to the church here scattered out through first century Turkey. The power of God in the midst of their suffering in this little while as we finally have come across the necessary sufferings that the believers endure. So this morning we we, if you will, a tire of peace. Imagine a tire with seven spokes coming off of it. Each of these being a component that is everyone who will repent and trust in Christ, believers in Christ. This is ours. We have peace in the mighty hand of God. Living in and under the warm and mighty hand of God. There's nowhere else we need to be and how we ought to live and view 2021 and the years ahead. However many days God gives us the peace that is yours, believer, the peace that is mine in Jesus Christ, your King. So let's look at these spoke by spoke, these seven spokes that we have of the peace of living under the mighty hand of God. Look back in verse 6. As we note first that we don't have to pretend to be impressive. One of the joys of knowing God and living under the mighty hand of God is that we don't have to pretend to be impressive to other people. This applied to the believers. The believers didn't have to try to be impressive to their unbelieving friends and family and, and, and bosses and government officials. They didn't have to try to be impressive. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he will exalt you. Now, pride, pride and self-lordship make as little sense to us as believers as a fish desiring to live on the land. It's foolishness. Why covet such a thing? 
For we know when we came to Christ, we confess sin, we admit our humility. We did that as a portion of our service, as Stephen will regularly bring about once or twice a month, a time of corporate confession. It's a reminder of we didn't come to God because we earned this, we were good enough, but we confess our sins. We bring to God our sin and our brokenness, and God in His grace and His mercy, He's forgiven us at the cost of Christ. But believer, you are forgiven. You are pure in Christ. We have true hope, true life in Jesus. And so as believers, we ought to always be humbled. He says, humble yourselves. Be humbling yourselves. It's a consistent reminder of humbling ourselves. And this is one of the joys of corporate worship, isn't it? Now, as a reminder, next week we'll go back to two services, 9 and 1045, as we uh, prepare to welcome back the our students to Nacogdoches. We're very excited about that. Uh, and one of the joys of having so many students to be able to invest in is a reminder of humility that we have in our life. One of those ministries that, that Roman, uh, Pastor Roman does such a great job overseeing is our Adopted Jack ministry. The Adopted Jack ministry is one in which uh, college students are paired up with families, with adults at Grace Bible. And not only does it provide an opportunity for fellowship and connection together, but there's also a time of mentoring and praying for one another and encouraging each other and being mindful of each other. We encourage you to get involved in this. And, and what we've heard from uh, members and from students alike is it's, it's humbling. It's encouraging. It, it builds us up. It humbles us. The believers are called here to humble ourselves. We don't have to try to be impressive. We don't have to try to be impressive. But God is one who brings humility. We know that he gives grace to the humble. This is a part of Mary's song that she sings in response to hearing Elizabeth, that Elizabeth's womb uh, 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 it leaps. John, John the Baptist, the womb doesn't just leap, but John the Baptist is in the womb. He, he leaps and, and she's humbled. And, she, and Mary, in hearing this, gives her that, this beautiful song in Luke chapter 1. And in that, in, in Luke 1, uh, 51 and 52, he, she sings, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Believers, humble ourselves. We don't have to try to look impressive. What a privilege. Now, it's often if we meet somebody that is impressive in life, we will sometimes bring it up to impress others. If you've come to my office, you've seen my George Brett autographed baseball. Impressive, right? I know you're just amazed right now. If you'd like my autograph after the service to know that I have George Brett's autographed baseball, I can do that for you. But believers in Christ, we don't have an autograph of Christ. Now think about it. If you had an autograph of Jesus. Imagine what it would be worth. It would be so valuable. Unbelievably valuable. You'd probably bring it up. Now you would have it in a, in a vault somewhere. It would be so incredibly valuable. You have an autograph from Jesus. The eternal Son of God who's taken on flesh and dwelt among us. The one that we are our very being is held together. The one uh, through whom we were created. You have his autograph. How impressive is that? But believers don't have his autograph. Believers know him. 
and are known by Him, and we love Him, and we're loved by Him, and we worship Him, and we live on mission for Him. We know Him. What's more impressive to, to have an artifact from Jesus or to know Him and be known by Him and to have Him be the one who has purchased us? We were bought with a price by His very blood. How can you get more impressive than that? We can't. We don't show ourselves to the world and, and, and boasting in ourselves. We boast in Christ. Knowing Christ, we have this freedom then, believer. We don't have to make ourselves try to look impressive. But we have peace we've received by knowing Jesus Christ and being known by Him. How freeing is that? If you've lived your life, as we all are tempted, I think, to, to, to be impressive and to certain people or at certain seasons, rest in the peace of living under the mighty hand of God. At the proper time, what will He do? He will exalt us. He will exalt us. That's the joys that we have. And so part of the joy of being in a church family, of being community, word, worship, service family, these components of discipleship we talk about all the time, is that part of our mission is to remind each other as well of the peace we have in Christ and because of the peace we have in Christ, that the things that the world may offer, the unbelieving world may offer, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, that it's foolishness. We don't need that because we don't need to be impressed by the world or impressive to the world or impressive to the flesh or by the flesh, that we have peace and rest and security in Christ. Isn't that good? Spoke one. Let's go to spoke two. We look at verse seven. We don't have to wonder if he cares. The peace that is yours, believer, by living and abiding by the mighty hand of God, resting under the mighty hand of God, is that we don't have to wonder if He cares. Look at this small little verse in verse 7. Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. A small verse. But profound. In Psalm 55, we won't read it, but you can write it down. I strongly encourage you to check it out. In Psalm 55, David writes and he speaks of this incredible turmoil so much anxiety so much pain and fear that's enveloping his life like floodwaters he says i wish i could just become a dove and fly away and all these things part of his heartache as he writes in psalm 55 he says it's not just that the the heartache that he has it's not like just some some unbeliever, some, some pagan is coming and, and causing him heartache, but it's that somebody that he once walked in the house of God with is the very source of his heartache. But in all these things, in Psalm 55, verse 22, he says, cast your cares on the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. Cast your cares on the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. That's what Peter tells us here. Peter reminds us that take your cares to the Lord. Take your anxieties to the Lord. Why? Because He cares for you. So that means, believer, you've been purchased with a price. You're not your own. So glorify God with your bodies and glorify God by bringing Him your daily anxieties. Because He cares for you. Because He cares for you and you're His, those are His so we have the privilege of every day, the new anxieties that mount, to take today's burdens to the Lord who cares for us. He loves you and he, he wants you to bring them to Him. 
for you will be resting under His mighty hand. He doesn't offer believers freedom from anxiety. He offers us the one for whom we were made to bring our anxieties to. to. He offers us the rest that is rightly ours in Christ for the necessary seasons of suffering that He's allotted for His children to do good works in all across the world. It is His concern. Now these two really go together, don't they? To to humble ourselves and to take our cares to the Lord. They go together. like Peanut butter and jelly. My kids think I am the greatest cook in the world. Sarah is unbelievable. She can make anything out of anything. I can make peanut butter and jelly. But they love what I can do. (laughs) These two go together well. And, And don't these first two spokes to this wheel of peace that is yours, believer, of living in the mighty hand of God go together so well? It's oftentimes our bringing our anxieties to the Lord that humbles and sets our hearts in a proper position. It humbles us. It makes us not feel like we have to have the pressures of pride and being impressive to others. It humbles us. As a practical word of encouragement, I encourage all of you that are, that are married or in relationships, as you have conflict together, as you work them out, always finish those times praying for each other. Each of you articulating prayer to the Lord. And we're not talking about a prayer like, Lord, help them to humble themselves and see that they're so wrong. We're talking praying for their blessing, praying for their abiding in Christ and thanking the Lord for uh, the work that He's done in your life and convicting you and confessing your sin to the Lord. Because we can't pray honestly with proud hearts. The Spirit won't let us get away with it. We can't read Scripture and pray Scripture with proud hearts. He won't let us get away with it. So so prayer, as we take her anxieties to God, it humbles us and it gives us a peace beyond understanding to the watching world that sees the very anxieties that flock around us. Two spokes that go together. I plead with you in 2021, get involved with the group at Grace. Sign up, pray about it, get involved with a group that you can be devoted to the Word together, that you can share your anxieties with, that they can be praying for you in them. Not simply listening to you and saying, that's tough, that's part of it, but it's also encouraging you and going with you to in prayer for those things. That's a privilege that we have as believers together that we need to walk in. So get involved, ladies, with a, with a, with a ladies' group. Men, get involved with a huddle group, a men's group. Get involved with a small group, sign up for those. That reminds me, we have a men's lunch this Tuesday. Men, if you're free at noon, join us in Henderson Hall. Bring your lunch. We'll bring the drinks. It'll be a great time. Charge together, bringing our anxieties to the Lord together. Third, spoke number three. We don't have to be ignorant. Look at verse eight. We don't have to be ignorant. We can choose to be ignorant. They say ignorance is bliss, but it really isn't, is it? We don't have to be ignorant. Verse eight, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now once again, and if you're writing notes down, 113 and 4.7 is a reminder. This is the third time that he's told the church to be sober-minded. To be alert. And now here he answers the why. The very explicit why. It gives us a third reason, I should say, for why we should be sober-minded. Alert. That is not under the 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 delusions of substance or lustful passions. Be sober-minded. Why? Because Satan, who in the way of a very literal lion in this sense, prowls around seeking to devour and destroy you, church. He longs to destroy you. 
He longs to see you indulge in the passions of the flesh. He longs to see you give in to false teaching. He longs to see you be isolated and segmented away from a local congregation. And so be watchful, be sober-minded, for he prowls around. Now, this is two things here. At first, this is maybe a disturbing thought, right? The, the Satan prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour us and destroy believers all over the world. Uh, to an extent, that's, but that's, a, that's a truth. So it's a, it's a good thing to know that, right? If there was a very real imminent danger, like if there was a literal lion at your front door when you were leaving here, and I knew that, and I didn't tell you about it, and I was like, ah, I don't want to bother them with it, that would be really not cool of me to do for you. That'd be irresponsible. Because you would want to act accordingly for a very real threat that is there. And it would not be loving of me to not tell you about that, even though that may be a burdensome truth. So, so your, your next hour or two, maybe, or, or before you go home, uh, would be maybe ignorance, maybe blissful, but it will lead to wrath if you went home and there was a, t- a lion there. But that's not actually good, is it? See, it's a blessing, the peace of God to not live with ignorance, to know the reality of spiritual warfare that is all around us. It's not simply on the other side of the world. It's all around us, all the time. But there are evil spiritual forces at work, always, that long to destroy you and your children and your very life and the credibility of your, your, your walk with the Lord. And then, as a believer, to shame you that you would feel unworthy to be and make disciples. It's a very real enemy. But that truth ought to give us hope. It ought to give us encouragement. Why? Because we don't serve the prince of this age anymore. We don't serve Satan. But he prowls to devour us. Why? Because he knows we're not his. We've been purchased with a price. We're now Christ. We're his enemies. Not because we're special, but because we're owned by Christ. We're his. We're God's. And he hates God so much he would love to destroy us and deceive us. And so what a joyful reminder to know we don't serve Him. We're free to serve the living God. To live on mission for Him. To abide in Him. To process sufferings and heartache through the goodness of the Spirit who indwells us. Isn't that a good word? Doesn't that give us peace to know that the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour us? Because we're not His. That's a good word. That's an encouraging word. I spoke for. Verse 9, we don't have to think we are alone. Yes, there's an enemy who prowls around like a warring lion seeking to devour us, but greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And not only that, but it's not some isolation, some, some, some great big individual story that we share in sufferings with those all around the world and brothers and sisters in Christ who've walked through even greater sufferings than us, of course. But we have a, a brotherhood, a fraternity, a sorority with brothers and sisters in Christ over all the earth who know this suffering. Look at verse 9. He says, resist him, speaking of Satan. So keep on resisting him. Be sober-minded. Firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So in this way, we're reminded we have peace. This sounds strange when you hear it, but this is a freeing thing. I'm not special. 
this, this is like the counter self-esteem movement, okay? It's true. So, so let's do this together. We're going to say, oh, we are not special. We'll just say it at the same time together. One, two, three. We are not special. Isn't that great? Here's why it's great. Because it's not all about us. But we are in a brotherhood and sisterhood of suffering of all over the world of believers who have been deployed by the sovereign hand of our God. We're not alone. But when grief and hardship hit, what happens? We often feel like we're in total isolation. Like no one could ever understand the burdens that we have in life. And Peter, in love, reminds the believers who are going through hardship, remember they're being slandered and insulted because of their hope in Christ. Because they believe that Jesus came and, and Jesus is indeed God in flesh, fully God, fully man. He lived a sinless, righteous life. He, laid his, he fulfilled all the demands of the law, taught the very words of life, laid His life down on the cross, purchased salvation for us. Jesus Christ, the One who is our life. That all who will repent and believe upon Christ have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Not simply eternal life, but abundant life today. The Jesus who defeated death and rose again. He ascended to heaven. He rules the right hand of the Father. He intercedes for us. And the day will come when He will come again. That's hope. True hope and true forgiveness. And until then, He is rightly deployed. God has rightly deployed believers over all the earth to endure suffering. I just saw this week that today is the five-year anniversary of the 21 Christians that were executed, were martyred on that beach in Libya. Do you remember that scene? They were on the orange jumpsuits down on their knees. ISIS taking their life and laying down their lives. They were so peaceful. A brotherhood and sisterhood who endures suffering over all the world. That's just what we know of. But in the small sufferings in homes and in relationships, but abiding and clinging tightly to Christ. What a joy to share in that fellowship. We'll talk more about that in just a few moments. But this reminded me of one of our own missionaries and church members that we encourage and we support. And though this is streaming, I had for permission, or first name anyway, Greta. Greta wrote a poem that I think summarizes this very well. It's called Our Refuge. She says, she writes, Separated and broken, lost and in despair, where can we find safety? We are in need of a Savior. Where can hope be found in life's dark hours? Can good come from His aching in our hearts? We are in need of a Redeemer. Frightened and confused, alone and depressed, where can rest be found? We are in need of a loving Father. A war is raging, our souls are ravaged. Where can we find healing? We are in need of a deliverer. All around there is destruction, so many are hurting. Who can bring comfort? We are in need of a comforter. O Lamb of God, light of the world, Emmanuel, you are with us. You never forsake your people. Please shine the light of your love on us. King of kings, Lord of all, Messiah, you are our hope, our anchor. Help us to reflect your love to a hurting world. Believers, we are not alone. It's the peace that we have under the mighty hand of God. 
The Lord brilliantly proclaims His love to a hurting world by His faithful children that He deploys, suffering well. How do we stand against the schemes of Satan? When we receive insults or mockery because of our allegiance and joy in Christ, our returning of blessing is a mockery of Satan. And it's a spectacle to the world that causes them to stop because they look and say, those reactions, they're praying for those that are slandering them. That's not natural. And it's not natural because we serve a God who is above all governments. We serve a God who is above our very flesh. We serve a God who knit us together in our mother's womb. We serve a God who's redeemed us and given us hope in life. Amen? This is the hope we have in Him. Let's look at spoke number 5, verses 10 and 11. We don't have to wonder if justice will be done. We don't have to wonder about it. There is no massive suspense. We don't have to wonder if justice will ultimately be done. Verse 10, look at this reminder. He says, and after all you have suffered a little while. That's why we call them the little whiles. Living faithfully in the little while. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, He will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now all through this letter, Peter never minimizes the heartache that the believers have because of their allegiance to Jesus. He doesn't minimize it, but what does he do? He lifts their gaze and places it upon Christ. He looks at the greatness of our God and the, the, the view, the more accurate view, the, the, the glimpse of God places our heartaches in a perception of little whiles. Now, little whiles, heartache and sickness can last decades and decades and decades family strife that could happen because of your allegiance to Jesus can last your entire life. And he doesn't downplay it and say, oh, it's just a little while. But he fixes our eyes upon God who is eternal and glorious and His reign is without end. And when we look to God, we articulate, this really is but for a little while. The joy of how the Word of God ministers to us. Look at these four future verbs that he places here. Restoration, confirmation, strengthening, and establishment. Now, these four assume that the believers don't have these things in the world. So what we should do from the very beginning is we should realize, God, would you help to know my thoughts? Psalm 139 says, discern my thoughts. You discern my thoughts from afar. So would you discern in my own heart and my thoughts where I may be long for restoration, confirmation, strengthening, and establishment in your creation alone? Rather than in you, the Creator, who does give good gifts through the creation. But guard me and discern me where I long for those things in the world and maybe will try to make idols to give me those four. For it's the Lord who will give those things. He promises these four things to the believers. So, let's walk through them one by one. Restoration. So, it's, it's in other words, this word is used also of one of setting a bone properly. A broken bone that gets set properly. Isn't that a cool image? He will set it, not just set it, but set it properly. Confirmation. Confirmation and strengthening, from what I could find, are largely synonymous. So, we're confirmed in the way it ought to be and we're strengthened in the way it should get healthier and healthier. So it's set right. The Lord will set us right. Makes all things new. 
He confirms this is the way and he strengthens us. He builds us up in this and this leads to establishment. It's a firmness. It's a way it will be and not to always be. He will do those things. He will do those things. Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Dr. Ramsey Michael's word Bible commentary on this. He takes these four and he takes a, a really a dynamic, a, a, uh, maybe not a literal word for word approach, but he says he takes these four future verbs and a reader would have heard that and understood it in this way. God will make everything right beyond our wildest dreams. He's going to make this. He's going to make all things. You have to worry about justice. So sometimes I can be an over planner and I get, I get woken up at night. And I, I wake and I, I think, what about that one thing? But he affirms the believers. But that one thing that was done in secret to you, he will make all things right beyond what we could ever come to mind. That's the greatness of our God. Isn't that good, believers? Isn't this good news for you? This is good news. What peace this gives us. We don't have to, to wonder if justice will be done. It leads us to spoke number 6 in verse 12. We have confident footing on the sure foundation. We have confident footing on the sure foundation. He mentions this brother Sylvanus, which who most believe is the letter carrier. My Sylvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him. I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. It is the triune God's great power that brings believers our confidence. We see this in Matthew chapter 28. You can write that down as a reference. Matthew 28. In this great commission scene, they see Jesus and they begin worshiping Him. The resurrected Christ, before Jesus ascended, they, they see Him and they worship Him, but some doubt it. And Jesus, He comes to them. And He gives them this reminder. And He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto Me. Then the command. So, so where is all authority? Is with Christ. All authority on heaven and earth. More than Rome. It's been given to Me. So you as My disciples, you go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey all these things. He gives them this assurance, Oh, I will be with you to the end of the age. Great commission that is ours in Christ. Why? Because we received the teaching that the disciples were given in that teaching. We're continued to call to be and make disciples. That's God's will for your life in 2021. You don't have to to look it up in a fortune cookie. What's God's will for my life? To be and make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. That's God's will for our life. And the believers have an assurity and a peace that we stand on this firm foundation. This Scripture is a word from God. This isn't a debate. There's not some dialogue going back here where they're challenging his, his presuppositions. Oh, Peter is an apostle. He's sending this letter, this Scripture, this written, sure foundation to stand upon. There's no plot twists that come with this word. They receive this once and for all delivered faith to the saints. Stand upon it, rooted in it. This man, Sylvanus, this brother in the Lord. Isn't it incredible that the evil slander that these believers, these Middle Eastern believers, as we would refer to them in present day setting, 
These Middle Eastern believers, because God would sovereignly permit them to endure suffering and slander and insults for the cause of Christ, the Spirit, in all of God's wisdom, the Spirit would take Peter and give forth and breathe forth this Word, this Scripture, that would encourage us and all believers, millions upon millions of believers from all over the earth, the Spirit would inspire these words and fill us up likewise and set our footing firmly upon Christ and the goodness of His unchanging Word and the Gospel, the good news that we've received. Stand firm then, beloved. Isn't that good news? We may never understand entirety of how God works. He didn't mention in 1 Peter, at least that I have come across as we finish this book today, these 12 weeks together. I didn't read anything about here in which he told the church in Turkey that take heart because part of what God's going to use is He's going to encourage believers on the other side of the world in a town called Nacogdoches that doesn't exist yet. And they're going to read of your sufferings and heartache and how the Lord sustains you and preserves you and works through these things. He's going to use your experience actually to build up their faith. I didn't read that in here. And yet God works in these ways that we can never understand all the dots. And the goodness of 1 Peter is not that we will understand all the dots, but it's that we know the Lord and can go to Him confidently because of the sure foundation and the adoption we've received by faith in Christ. We know the one to go to. The peace is yours, beloved. No matter what the year ahead holds, peace is yours in Christ. It leads us to our final spoke in verse 13 and 14. That we have redeemed fellowship that rests in our peace with God in Christ. We have redeemed fellowship with one another. That God takes people at hostility with one another and He gives us a peace that goes beyond every profiled description imaginable. He brings a peace. Look at how He finishes. Not only does He call Savanus His brother, He says in verse 13 and 14, the final words of this beautiful little letter. She who is in Babylon, we most think is speaking of Rome, she who is in Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. And greet one another with the kiss of love. And peace to you all who are in Christ. Now, think about this. Presuming that Babylon, as he's speaking here, is Rome, we know he's writing to these believers that it's present-day Turkey. It's not Turkey then, but it's these different regions, right? Spread out, spread out through this area. He's talking about people that are 1,300 miles apart. That would have nothing in common on a daily basis. You think about the speed of travel and how slow it was. Most people unless they were taken off into captivity, would live within five miles of where they were born for most of their lives, most all their lives. And yet he takes these people 1,300 miles away. And he writes to them, refers to them as brothers, sisters, Adelphoi, beloved. Greet each other with a holy kiss. Greeting at the time. Why? What fellowship do they have together? 
What commonality these people have? They have Christ. That is fellowship beyond all fellowship. That is of likeness, of a likeness of mind and a likeness of purpose and mission and a likeness, listen, of our eternity. That's yours in Christ. We have redeemed fellowship. And he mentions Mark. You remember Mark. In Paul's first missionary journey, Mark went with him. And what did Mark do? He bailed on him. He bailed on him at some point in the middle of the mission. And they had this disagreement. They go about, Peter refers to Mark as his son. And in in Paul's letter to Timothy, he refers also to Mark and says, hey, Mark is useful to me in ministry. That fellowship was restored even among those believers that had a clear disagreement. Peter refers to him as his son. Brother, son, sister. This is not of this world. Because the King we serve is above all of this world. And His rule is to impact how we interact with every single institution and every single calling that comes our way in life. There is no greater aim than knowing Christ. There is no greater aim than being and making disciples and giving your life to Him. There is nothing better in 2021 or for all the days the Lord has had for us and has for us and has numbered for us. And one of the great gifts that God gives us as the body of Christ is to love and to walk through this mission together. Isn't that good news? This is good news that we're given to share with others. That's what God has for us today. God's Word is good. The peace that is yours in His mighty hand is like a child in the hand of the warm embrace of a powerful, powerful parent. That's the goodness you have in Christ. Amen? Now, as we turn our attention to our next steps, we're going to do something a little different here. There's just one large next step. And I actually want to read this together. And so I've just walked through 1 Peter. That's all I did. I walked through 1 Peter and I just took different descriptions of God that he gives. And I just put them in here. So we're not going to read the reference, but I'd like to read our next step together. Because the very simple question at the end is, what will I do with this? What will I do with not only this text and the peace that is yours to all who will repent and believe upon Christ, but what will I do with the whole of this book? What will I do with how great our God is? So, let's read it together. I'll try to, try to follow on my cadence. Here we go. Peter... Never minimize the suffering little while of these believers. Rather, he fixed their eyes upon their triune, all-knowing, ruling, merciful, victorious, preserving, returning, saving, gracious, holy, impartial, glorious, everlasting, good, precious, honorable, Loving, liberating, fear-worthy, exemplary, righteous, shepherding, overseeing, all-powerful, glorious, trustworthy, faithful, mighty, caregiving, restoring, and eternal God. It is only in light of the triune God and His Gospel that sinners can have peace. 
What will I do with this? What will I do with this? This leads us into our time of response that continues throughout all the week as we leave this place in the matter of moments. If you don't know Christ, I would encourage you today, confess your sin to Him. Say, God, I believe you are exactly who the Bible says you are. I believe you're holy and loving and faithful and good. And I know I am in sin and broken. I confess my sin to you and I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he lived a sinless life. And I turn from my sin and place my trust in him as my king, my savior and my Lord. Lead my life. Lead my life. If that's your heart today, you would give your life to Christ. Confess that to him. Respond. After the end of the service, there's always ministry leaders will be up here to pray with you, to pray with anyone, to encourage you. But if you're one of those of taking one of those early next steps, we want to talk to you and counsel you and encourage you today. But all believers, the Lord and the Spirit will lead each of us in each of our ministry and life contexts to apply these things, this good news of peace that is ours in Christ. Amen? Now, next week, we're going to begin the book of 2 Peter. And Stephen could not have chosen a more appropriate song to sing to finish 1 Peter and lead us into this next book of 2 Peter. No better song I can think of than this exact one of the reality that He holds us fast. He will hold us fast and He has held us fast. And he holds us fast. This is a joyful song for believers to rise together and to sing. Beloved, would you stand with me as we sing in response to the goodness of our God.